to have a lot of purpose a lot of the time we're busting through and we're not taking in the fruits of our works as it happens. Mm. And, that, and that's what gives it the meaning. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello friends, Zachary Stockhill here, speaking to you today from the island of Shargao in the Philippines, which is easily one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Just uh, a gorgeous little island here in the Philippines. It's a strange sort of paradox because it's starting to finally get its due. It's starting to finally get on the tourist trail a little bit, starting to spread. Uh, The news about the island is starting to spread that it's this beautiful place. There's just gorgeous beaches and it's a real surfing capital. So if you're into surfing, it's the place to be. And it's a funny thing because it's one of those, you know, the the classic trope about tourism is that, you know, you want these places to stay somewhat hidden. You don't want them to become too popular because then they're going to be overrun with more people like me. (laughs) But um, if you do get the chance, it's a pretty, pretty beautiful place. It has the most vibrant greens I've ever seen uh, in my life. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. My guest today, once again, is my good friend, Jordan Luke Collier. Jordan is head coach at the organization Arza Murata, which does really amazing work centered around men's work, masculine purpose, and especially dating and relationships. It is a tremendous organization, and Jordan is a tremendously insightful human being, especially when it comes to the topics of sex, dating, and relationships. In today's episode, we're going a little deeper, though. We're talking about legacy, discovering masculine purpose, and we also get into some of our adventures and some of our travels and how that's changed and impacted us as men. Hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed this discussion. I always enjoy talking to Jordan. And if you enjoyed it, please let me know. The best way you can do that and the most helpful way uh, for you to do that would be to leave a rating and review of Humans in Love using Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Without any further ado, I present to you my latest conversation with my good friend, Jordan Luke Collier. spoke I think almost a year ago in I think it was in December of last year similar to now where I was asking you about how you approach you know how are you planning the next year how do you approach setting goals and things like that and you just mentioned that um, you're you'd be interested in talking a little bit about legacy and this is something I've been thinking about too I think you know with every year that passes you realize in some ways you have less time to make your mark and to to have the impact on the people you want to have the impact on and to really stake your claim in the world as a man or as you know as a human being but what um when you say you want to talk about legacy why and what about what are you thinking about that these days why is that a topic that's that's of greater interest to you now than perhaps it was a year ago because i don't think you used that word in our conversation a year ago legacy no it's definitely at the forefront forefront of my thinking 
and in the community of um, writers, speakers, coaches that I'm part of, there's a big conversation about legacy and uh, there's something a bit nebulous about it. Like it's an ongoing inquiry, like the question, what is a good life? Mm. Um, and anyone who is a, a practitioner of uh, lifestyle design, quote unquote, knows that you don't just set up your perfect life once. You have to tend to it every single day like a plant. Because whatever lifestyle you design for yourself, it gets cluttered with weeds and overgrown. And so there's a need to keep revisiting that. What is a good life? How do I want to live? How do I design my day? Um, minimalism is a constant pursuit of how can we remove everything that is unessential so we get back to the essential. And so legacy, in a way, is one of those unanswerable questions, but fruitful inquiries. Mm. What is my legacy? What do I want to leave? What is the mark of a great man? What is my dharma? Like, you know, why think up my legacy? But, you know, from the egoic point, like why the kind of Rockefeller or the tower, like I want to build the biggest tower in the world and that will be my legacy. So everyone for, you know, centuries is going to remember what a big dick I was. There's the ego sense of legacy, but there's also like, wow, even if I don't try and leave anything, what, what am I already leaving in my wake? And, and for, will any good come from the thumbprint that was my life on humanity? Some, something will come and, and should something come? And if so, what? And so that there's all these very nebulous sounding questions, which very deep and very consuming and great to talk about. Um, and that's really at the forefront of our conversation at the moment. And that'll evolve into something and, and it's constantly shaping and forming me in the way I think as well. Because it's a funny idea, you know, this idea about legacy, because I was, you know, I was thinking, like, how many Roman emperors can you name? How many can I name? A handful? Yeah, maybe. And these were the most powerful men on the planet. If there was anybody that might have a legacy, it would be these men. But how many of them, you know, we remember a handful and that's it. Um, how many great books have stood the test of time? Works by Seneca, uh, the Bible, Marcus Aurelius, people like that, but not a lot. Um, and so, yeah, how, how to think about legacy? Because some people, I think, don't aim for legacy at all. You know, yeah. the, the, you know let's, let's have the best time possible we can. Let's, you know, let's be a good person and let's whatever. But, and, and frankly, legacy is something that drives me as well. For, I mean, when I think about people reading my book after I'm dead, I get a certain sense of motivation from that. Now, I don't think necessarily from an ego place, at least not entirely, but also just, you know, my life mattered. My life was helpful to some people in some way and has the potential to be helpful to people long after I'm gone. Yeah. But what does the word mean to you? When you, when you think of the word legacy, what, what, what comes to mind for you? I've got a clear... Um embodied somatic emotional connection with legacy um and i'll get to that but my initial relationship with the word legacy is legacy is the thing that great heroic men particularly men 
Absolutely. <laughs> Strive to leave. Yeah. And, and you either left one or you didn't. Mm. And, and if you did, it would be measured against all the others. So right. you, you want to leave the best one, basically. You don't want to be a forgotten My Roman emperor. My legacy is going to be better than yours, George. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to be a Roman emperor that sucked, right? Exactly. So you're going to be Gosh, the baddest. Yeah. Like, even if I kill and persecute, like, you know, millions yeah. of people, like, at least I'll be up there with the tyrants. At least you, know? you have your own chapter in the history books rather than a footnote. Exactly. Yeah. Black legacies is better, than, you know, mm. better than no legacy. Um, but then what I see by that egoic kind of legacy in people is I literally need to finish my life with the two stone tablets with my pearly wisdom or my billions of dollars left in a way that people can see. And I will sacrifice the present moment so that my legacy will be left at the end of my life. Mm. And so that life in itself, the, um, because the end justifies the means, the means can be horrific so you can treat yourself badly, you can treat other people badly, you can live a life which is painful, um, which is not actually embodying any of your gifts while you're in the pursuit of actually leaving your gift. So let me think of an example of this. Yeah. Just workaholics? I mean, people who work 80 hours a week for 40 years? Yeah, for example, like... I'll give an example for myself. Um, I do intimacy and relationship coaching, dating coaching. If I spend an entire year writing an amazing book about intimacy, (laughs) but every single morning as I sat at the table on the balcony, my girlfriend wanted to give me a kiss and I'd be like, fuck off, I'm writing. (laughs) Then none of what I'm actually standing for in the world is being embodied in the present moment. And we feel this all the time. Like you can go to, um, oh man, so many examples, none come to mind. But yeah, like go to... um, Okay. trying to think of a classic story I don't know like for example you go to the um, Nike factory but everyone in there is like working so hard none of them actually do any training none so, of them get outside and <laughs> run on their shoes yeah. or... and you go and speak to the advertising committee for Nike or whatever and you're like when was the last time any of you guys went for a run oh yeah we don't have any time for that shit we're here to sell Nike shoes and try and press upon culture our vision for what life should be so there's a fundamental disembodiment from the legacy by delaying it until later and so a lot of these great men it's like okay you left your stone tablets or your big building how was the day-to-day living of your life and were you embodying your gifts as you were fighting was your way of being imbued with the legacy that you want to leave as you were trying to create the thing that is the emblem of the legacy and so I think a legacy means it can mean a lot if you struggle and put your, sacrifice yourself in one sense to leave a legacy. But in this day and age, the, there is like a, the quiet legacy of actually embodying the thing every single day. Like, and what I noticed for me, like, okay, what if the, the book writing time is twice as long, but every day when my girlfriend comes to give me a kiss in the morning, I turn my body and my attention fully to her 
celebrate her, give her the best of me, spend some time with her, talk to her, there just becomes something a lot more embodied in my actual legacy. And when I come to write the book, it's imbued by this slow, oh yeah, my work was a bit slow because I was smelling the roses around me as I wrote this. And um, yeah, I mean, you're the CEO. No, you're, you're a doctor. This is a great example, actually. You're a doctor because in your heart, you fundamentally want people to cure and be healthy but you're so fucking stressed out on your daily rounds that you have very little empathy for your patients because your empathy is squashed underneath your stress. In your deepest heart, you want to be an amazing doctor. You want to be remembered like a, like a Florence Nightingale, right? You want to be remembered and be beloved by your patients because you were there heart to heart to help them in a time of need. But you never once had that experience in a decade because all of your medical practice was shrouded by stress and the fear of government cuts and stress in the office. And then the, just the, the sediment of annoyance in your body turns into being judgmental against the patients and so on. And so all of the patients in the ward, none of them feel seen. They all feel kind of served as objects of the practice of medicine. You know, my, okay, you know, they took my temperature and my blood pressure this morning, but I don't feel seen. The, the emotional healing doesn't come through. So you might be leaving your legacy as a doctor. Oh yeah, you know, I got my certificate and I practiced for 30 years and I've got my retirement fund and I live my expensive lifestyle. But you didn't actually engage in the deep spiritual practice of medicine, which is to really give someone medicine is to give them the, the, the healing, the emotion. Like I see you, wow, you're suffering. What's that like? How can I be of service? How can I hear your story in a way that brings uh, an emotional relief as well as the you know checking the pulse and the how is is legacy and the way you're speaking about legacy how does that differ from purpose because it seems to me that you know some people would hear this and there's a part of me that hears this and thinks it sounds like you're talking about purpose is there something that i'm missing first thing that comes to mind and i'm discussing a lot of this you know for the first time with you yeah. like on the fly First thing that comes to mind is purpose feels like an internally generated thing. I wake up in the morning, wow, I feel this rush of I know what to do today. I'm going to hit the streets and feel good as I'm doing this. So per I'm on purpose. And legacy is um, not just do I have a purpose and am I giving it, but it's real in the moment recognition of how my gifts and my actions affect all the people around me. So it's like, okay, I'm on my purpose that's great, but it can be quite a self-focused uh, orientation of moving forward. But then to be legacy-minded is, okay, as I'm delivering my purpose, what difference is this making in the world right now? And why would I delay the gratification of seeing the effects of my labors until after the book is released or after the, you know, this five-year cycle or on December, or the Christmas party where we actually reflect on what we did this year? Like, why not daily reflect on the purpose and maybe you know the experience which I also know of putting great content out helping your clients with their challenges immeasurably receiving great emails of gratitude oh wow that email's a bit long I won't read that or oh no there's another compliment well I'm too stressed to read the compliment mm. you know yeah, yeah and and to have a lot of purpose 
a lot of the time we're busting through and we're not taking in the fruits of our works as it happens. Mm. And that, and that's what gives it the meaning. So I know I have a lot of coaching friends, other mentors, um, they pine to help other people because it feels so good. Wow, I helped you with your difficulty in your relationship. It feels so good to see you grateful and relieved from that pain and with strategies to come through. That's why we do it. Wow, that eased your pain. I helped your suffering. And that in, self, and that in and of itself fills my life with meaning. And yet we're, oh no, I, I you know, ah, oh, that's just my job. Ah, oh, don't sweat it. You know, we don't accept the gratitude that comes to us in return from a lot of our works. I'm speaking squarely to people in helping professions right now. And legacy, to, be, to have a living legacy, one that you enjoy is to be like, okay, this, these are the effects of my work for good or for ill. My legacy right now is actually pissing a lot of people off. My legacy right now is, ooh, as I go about my business, I'm actually to the detriment of some people. Like to be conscious of your effect as, as you go step by step. And so the core of legacy for me, this might, this idea might change and bend with time, but there's a way of showing up in life that has us feel deeply given. And if we give our gifts and those gifts are received, we then can get touched and incredibly humbled by the fact that those gifts are received. Mm. One night I was, I was going back about five years or so, I was doing a leadership training out in the States. I lived in the States for nearly a year. And uh, we were all gearing up for uh, certification. And I was a bit of a ringleader and I gathered all of the, the students from the leadership program together as much as I could to, to practice because we really needed to practice hard because the certification had a high bar and risk of failure was high and we just wanted to succeed. And I invited everyone around to practice and we, we were a group of four, group of six, group of eight, whatever, practicing the techniques. It was a group facilitation leadership program. And there were some people in the group doing really, really well. And there were some people that just didn't get it. And I remember being one night, I had, I was just showing up. I was really intent in serving the people that I was with, getting the certification while I was there, giving the best of myself. And, and there was just a few days in which I dropped into this zone of giving the best of me, uh, completely in flow. And I had really memorable moments of connection with the people that I was working with. You know, when a project takes hold, like a work or some project and you get caught up in it, it's like theater is the best, best example of this or a sports team. If you get on a run towards a cup, it's like, wow, like we're working together. We're achieving the thing. It's hard and challenging, but we're together. And in that there's a transcendence, like we come together. And so one night late at night, I was, uh, were three people with three last people in the building. And I was giving feedback to this guy who was trying to do his practice and he was just not getting it. And I was giving feedback, giving feedback, and he was just not getting it. And it was like, wow, like, I think you probably won't certify because there's quite some way to go for you to be able to get up to the standard. And I remember giving him feedback, feedback, 
heart open, head, just given everything I could. And he left the building and the woman that we were both with turned around to me and she said, I can count. Um, she was in her 50, like mid 50s already. She said, I could count um, on the fingers of one hand how many times in my life I've actually seen someone speak with so much intelligence and so much heart to another person out of pure service. Like it's 11 o'clock at night, you don't have to be here and you're giving all of that. She said it was mesmerizing just to watch your heart and your mind in action in tandem, a human mind and a human heart together in tandem. And that hit him, you know, and she was touched and I was touched and we left the building and I, 11 o'clock at night, moon in the sky, stars and everything. And I checked my phone and there was a message in my phone from the girl that I was seeing. And it was literally like, hey, hey, babe, I miss you. Come around. I'm in bed. The back door is open. Wink, wink. Oh, wow. <laughs> you could read a lot into that last, <laughs> last sentence. And... Uh, <laughs> so I look at that message and all I can feel in all of me is that's the perfect message for any man to be sent at 11 o'clock at night. And doesn't yet, get much better than that. It doesn't get much better than that. And, and the counterintuitive thing that I felt in that moment was, you know what, if I actually followed up that message and went round and went in the back door and all, so on, um, that would be a notch down from the level of purity I feel in my heart and my soul right now. Like I'm so given to these people and it was so beautiful what I've given today. No woman, no invitation can match up to the purity of spirit that I feel. And with that, I quietly walked home under the moon and the stars and I just moved into a new place. So it was a 20 minute walk home and I got there and I didn't yet have a bed. I'd rented like a it was like a little house at the bottom of the garden. And I slept on two yoga mats. And just, so it's like bone aching poverty, you know, two yoga mats on a wooden floor. And I just slept with, with my head on my hands, like looking up to the ceiling, like, wow, I don't need anything else. And you asked me when we first met, Jordan, what are your business metrics and your targets? And, and I was like, well, the only thing that comes to mind is the number of times that I cry in a calendar year, like tears come to my eyes because of how deeply I served other people through my work. Like if I can cry from gratitude and service 10 times in a calendar year because of how I gave myself to my work, that would have been a good year. Not found in most business plans. The, the real bottom line, the, you know, the spiritual bottom line of yeah. work, of business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, I, we were talking just this weekend about business and the kind of work that we do. And, and I mean, without question, it, it's such a cliche, but the more you give, the more you receive. And the more you just really focus as much as possible as how can I provide as much value as possible to this person or this community or these people, I mean, it can't help but have a positive impact on your business. And I think particularly in the internet age, 
And I think, well, I think particularly for people who do the kind of work that you and I are interested in, where we're doing podcasts like this and we have videos on YouTube or whatever, I mean, people are going to know pretty quickly who we are. And I think most people, they're going to smell bullshit. <laughs> you know, when you put out as much content as you and I put out, you know, where there's, I mean, there's hours of you speaking online, there's hours of me speaking online. People are going to tell, people can tell pretty early on, oh, these people are actually sincere. I don't think they have all the answers, but at least they're being sincere. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. The more you can just focus on service and giving and just providing as much value as you can. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sniggering because that is true what you say. And yeah. at the same time, everyone can smell your insincerity and you can still become prime minister. Yeah. So it, it's not a, <laughs> yeah, it's not a foolproof system that yeah. goodness prevails. But I feel like, I don't know, like, I guess I put, I would slot people like you and I in a different category than politicians you know i mean the the most insincere person in the history of the planet just you know got elected president last time so yeah but i don't know i guess i just i guess i feel like if you're doing any kind of quote-unquote heart-centered work i think it's pretty tough to, to be a charlatan in that world for long you know i think people will suss you out yeah i think but you know if you're a charlatan then the one who suffers most is you basically yeah. at the end of the day and totally. that that's why we want to have this conversation about legacy because a lot of men come to us and some of them have been very successful in business, but just because you've got an eight or a nine figure business doesn't mean that you actually feel meaning in your heart and meaning can be very elusive. And if the part of you that longs for meaning in life is shut down or has a defense, or you've just never been trained to get in touch with meaning, um, there's a void. Yeah. There's a real void and, and it's invaluable to get access to that. And, that, and that's why people, you know, like the Bill Gates of the world become these, I don't know how many figures of millions, billionaires, you know, become a multi-billionaire. And then it's like, wow, I have all this money, but like, what else? And then they find philanthropy and it's like, okay, now I can buy myself into meaning. Yeah. Well, it's funny, like people, you know, this is a bit of a side note or tangent, but I mean, you and I live in, in Chiang Mai, which is this city that attracts literally thousands of people working online from all over the world. And it attracts a wide spectrum of people doing different things. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or whatever. I think that there is, you can find great meaning in many type, different types of work, whether you're a server in a restaurant or a carpenter or a lawyer or whatever. I mean, there can be great meaning to be found in a lot of those things. But for example, I was talking to a guy today about professional poker players. And I'm not talking shit. I mean, if, they, if that makes them happy, fine. But I think for me, if, if the meaning, like, like you, you just, you'd have to find it some, some other way, I think. Yeah. You know, if you're a millionaire pressing buttons on a screen and, and yeah. playing cards online, maybe it's just the, you know, the type of personality that you and I are. Like, I think we take certain truths for granted. Maybe it's not as important for everyone. But I feel like if I was, in that, if I was some millionaire poker player, you'd, you'd have to find meaning somewhere else, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, we've worked with a few poker players, funnily enough, mm. and it's um, and they were really, really searching for beauty, connection, and meaning. And the it's like the very practice of poker is you have to train your face to not give away any clues. Right, poker face, right? <laughs> yeah, literally. So, so then 
take that skill and then go into your dating life and see mm. if women feel you and trust you. That's so interesting. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it, it, so poker is... And your livelihood depends on the quality of your poker face. Exactly. So if wow. you're a millionaire poker player, you have actually undergone the very training that's going to be very difficult for you to And you've been rewarded <laughs> for your complete lack of emotional transparency. And then the head is constantly wow. just the way of playing poker is you're doing little mental formulations in your mind all the time. So it's like, do I go in or do I not? It trains physically, emotionally, um, mentally, this way of calculating risk at every single step. And so love is not a risk that you calculate with your mind because you'll be stuck in your mind forever. It's so unpredictable, like what to do with that force of emotion. And so I don't want to damn the world of poker. I mean, it's brilliant. And you can be a professional poker player and sure. have a very meaningful family life outside it. Well, and that's do what other I mean, things. You'd have to, I think you'd yeah. have to find it somewhere else, like in your family or in your community or something. Like, yeah. But, it, but it's interesting, the man who can be the consummate millionaire poker player on, on one part of his life and then go home and be an amazing lover and father, right. you know, that's quite a breadth of skills that yeah. he must have mastered. I'd like embodied. to meet that guy. That sounds like an interesting, an interesting man. Yeah. 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 How um, do you, A, do you feel pretty clear about your legacy at this moment in time? And B, what has helped you or helps you get greater clarity around that would you say yeah <laughs> going off to the mountains on a motorbike with people like yourself helps me get greater clarity on legacy Likewise. that's for sure time away to think because it is a minimalist activity what is clutter here what is inessential how can i get rid of that so i can give my gift more fully and so there's like in my heart soul and body i know what my legacy is and because I've had certain experiences of giving my gifts and being received and seeing that I'm received and just the walk, walk home alone at night and weep tears of gratitude on my wooden floor type because I've had numerous nights like that. Um, I know what my legacy is. I know what my gifts are. I know when I'm touching people. I know when lives are changing because of the influence that our conversations and our work are having. So I know what my legacy is in my body. But then my head has its moments of like, where am I going to be next year? Oh, wow, I'm coming up to the end of my visa allowance in this country, so I need to make a plan. What is my plan for next year? Well, why make a plan for next year? I need to make a five-year plan and then a 10-year plan. And then where am I going to go? And so how shall I structure my work so that I can do that? And all of these logistical complications along the way put me right back in my head and have me try and calculate my legacy again yeah. so my body and my heart knows what my legacy is it's been hit you know bullseye a number of times i know where that lies that's true for some people you might not have had that 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 moment of my i was fully given today and if not the hunt for your legacy or the hunt for your purpose must continue until you really know what your best gifts are and you know that they've landed a few times, that you know that you've affected humanity or culture by bringing your essence. Once you've collected a few experiences like that, I think a man, know, a woman too, knows themselves on a very deep level and that creates the, the structure for building a life's work and going forward. Until you've had that experience, you've got to hunt it, got to hunt it, got to hunt it. 
and I'm bringing a high bar for what kind of work you should be doing in the world, but rightly so. If you're a seeker, uh, nothing less than these moments of total meaning and fulfillment are going to satisfy you. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. I mean, I've, I've had conversations with people in bars or people you meet on the road traveling or whatever. And the, the conversation at some point will, will come around to professions and, and whatever. And, uh, it's something I, I I like talking about because I'm I'm a curious dude and I want to know what it's like to be a to be a carpenter or to be a banker or to be a construction worker or whatever. And I hope I hope this doesn't come off as as patronizing. I think people can tell I'm sincere, but you know, I've had the experience a few times where someone tells me what they do. Oh, I'm just a waitress or whatever. And my immediate impulse is. But wow, like you, you help people eat, (laughs) like you, you feed people and you have enormous power to impact their day. I don't, obviously I don't say that because that would, that would be really preachy and over the top, but, uh, you're, you have a tremendous amount of power, you know, like I, I've always had this romantic idea of, of, you know, my alternative, you know, one of my unlived lives as a carpenter, actually building structures that can stand for 10, 20, 30, 40, hundred years where people live, like you're sheltering people, you're helping people stay dry and warm and you're creating environments where people have Christmases. And so I think that, that it seems to me, you know, because I mean, you know, people like you and I were so incredibly fortunate to live the lives that we're, that we're leading, you know, living in tropical countries and doing work that we find really empowering and really meaningful and really deeply satisfying and exciting working on these creative projects that, that have great meaning for us. I've had the experience of talking to people when they kind of shrug off their job, but you know, I, I just always have a different perspective on it often. And obviously I can't pretend to know what that's like, but I just, from the outside looking in, it's like, I think that there's great meaning to be derived in many different types of work. I think sometimes it might just take a slight perspective shift. And that's easy for me to say, because I'm not a waitress or I'm not a carpenter. I'm not these things, you know, I'm not a truck driver, but it seems to me that, that, Jesus, I mean, you know, the world relies on these people, people to, to live, you know, society relies on these people to, to make everything work, to feed us, to clothe us, to transport our goods, to, it's really important. There's deep meaning to be found in those types yeah, of work. And you can own that as well. Yeah. I mean, our culture blows up, you know, the whole story of the rags to riches or the entrepreneur or the person with the amazing mission statement. My mission in life is to save 10 billion people from, it's not even 10 billion people, you know. That's an ambitious goal. Yeah, my my, my life purpose is to save 10 billion people from poverty and AIDS and all the rest of it. And so the rest of us who are not quite as lofty feel like there's something deficient because culture is celebrating, you know, he or she with a big mission statement. But as as we engage in that story, like your value comes from the size of your mission or your value comes from the clarity of your purpose. We overlook that the, the immense humble beauty of a waitress who actually is in his or her heart and actually cares about your eating experience or actually shares a couple of jokes or a little flirtation or a sincere question. I mean, are you kidding? And in some of those moments, I mean, Though I, some of those moments you're talking about, I feel like they've kind of saved my life in some ways, you know, cause, cause you've dealt with some loss in the past year, significant loss. And, uh, 
and I have as well. And I found particularly when I've been in the midst of intense grief and just my heart's blown wide open and I'm feeling extremely vulnerable and maybe lonely and, and all of these things, just little moments of people being kind to me or being a little flirtatious or being whatever, just little moments of, of genuine kindness can, I mean, they can, you know, they, they resonate throughout my entire day and sometimes my week, you know, just those little moments of, of seeing the goodness in people and remembering that, that it's a big world and there's lots of people who, you know, people who are far less fortunate than me in many ways who are still, you know, working and, 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 and taking a little time out of their day to be unnecessarily kind to me. I mean, those moments can save your life sometimes, at least in my experience, those little moments where someone's extra nice to me and they didn't have to be, you know, whether it's a server in a restaurant or a bartender or whoever, I mean, those can have a huge impact on people. You know, I've thought about that before. Like I remember being on a couple of flights where the flight attendant and I was just an economy, you know, I wasn't like a first class passenger or anything, but where the flight attendant was just like, just nice to me, you know, genuine smile. I could tell she took her work seriously. It, it wasn't like the thing of putting on a fake corporate smile and just, you could tell that she was a genuinely kind person and she just genuinely wanted to be nice. I've thought about, you know, after the flight, just going up to these people and saying, thank you, like genuinely, thank you for making my experience so pleasant because you didn't have to do that. And it had a big impact on me, you know, truly. Yeah, those, the, and, and, and that is, those moments have really influenced me to try to be unnecessarily kind to people when I can, you know, um, really appreciate people's food. And, you know, you and I live in Thailand, you know, like these little restaurants, I almost always go out of my way to tell them how much I enjoyed the meal and that it was delicious or whatever, and really genuinely thanking people. And obviously I don't always live up to that. I have grumpy days just like everyone else, but yeah, unnecessary kindnesses can really, you know, yeah, they talk about legacy like that ripples through the world because then she's maybe maybe this woman's going to be nicer with her kids that night and maybe the kids are going to be have a better mood at school the next day and whatever, you know, you can kind of imagine that this has the potential to ripple through the whole little community in kind of a, a beautiful way. I think you've perfectly defined my idea of legacy because mm. your stone tablets will be, you know, your best book on Amazon is going to be ignored perpetually. Among, Absolutely. <laughs> among the crowds among the 30 million other books on there and if you are chronically and and this is for me myself you know i've got to remember this own teaching for myself in my own life if you are chronically closing down because you want to focus on your self what is it like your stone tablets or your self kind of actualization project if i complete this book or this business or do this thing then i will feel good and whole and complete um, if you're involved in that project, but you're not willing to look at the waitress or thank her for a service or console someone when you see that they're in pain or do these very little human acts of kindness, um, then I think we're failing in some respects to live a greater legacy. And that in itself leads to a suffering. And you talked about the phenomena of being in a tropical country with an online business and working with passions. Even that being the case, it's so easy to get stuck in the mind pattern of I want to accomplish this, that and the other and, and forgetting a deeper human need, which is much more nourishing, which is the simple connection, simple kindness, simple being connected to the surroundings around us. Absolutely. 
this might tie in nicely your ideas about legacy with um, do you know the, the Buddhist teacher Jack Cornfield? have you heard of him just by name, yeah. teaching. He's terrific. He has this great line. He says, tend to the part of the garden you can touch. If you're trying to have an impact in the world, tend to the part of the garden you can touch. I really like that formulation because we each have a garden. <laughs> like we each have a little community of people we interact with. Some of us have more than others, but there's people we interact with. And, you know, if there's ways that we can impact them in a positive way, why not? Because again, it ripples through, you know, throughout the, throughout the whole community, often in very tangible ways. So I have a question for you, Zach. I'm ready. And I wonder if you want to publicly say anything about your upcoming year and your travels. Mm. And where are you going and what's it all about? <laughs> what's it all about? <laughs> what are you looking for on the winding roads? Wow, the long and winding road? That's a good question. I, uh, well, I guess by the time I publish this episode, I'll be in the Philippines, which I'm excited about because apparently Christmas there is just absolutely crazy in the best way possible. So I'm excited about that. We're talking about kindness earlier. I, one consistent thing that people comes up when I tell people I'm going to the Philippines is they say the people are just incredibly kind and generous. And, um, and every Filipino I've ever met has been often unnecessarily kind. So that I'm excited about, about being there for a while. And after that, it's kind of a question mark. I'm going to go back to Thailand for a while in January to see a friend and go to a concert. And after that, there's a big question mark. I, you and I have talked about Mexico and Argentina and Uruguay and parts of Russia, or sorry, parts of Europe rather. And uh, yeah, I think, I think I just came to a point where it's just time for a bit of a change of scenery. Because you've been living in Chiang Mai. I've been based here for a while, yeah. With, with a lot of travel, especially over the past year, I've traveled a lot. But I mean, I've had this apartment for a while now and, and I've been based here for a while. And I, I think I talk about Chiang Mai in the podcast all the time. I mean, it's an absolutely wonderful place to live. Again, incredibly kind people in northern Thailand. Just, you know, for anyone who's their only experience of Thailand has been the south. The south. Not that there aren't kind people down there. In general, Thais are pretty, it's a very welcoming place. But from my experience, you know, it's been next level in the north in terms of feeling welcomed. And that really means something when you're when you're an expat and when you're living abroad. And so it's I guess I just came to a place where I want to come back and feel excited about Chiang Mai again, because I, I imagine I will come back um, next year at some point. So I think I just needed uh, needed some time to, to sort of hit the road and, and immerse myself in some new environments and meet new people and and. Um, yeah, we'll see. It, it's there's a lot of uncertainty about next year and where I'm going to physically be, and it, it it's exciting. You know, it's um, yeah, it's it's exciting to kind of just hit the road and not have an official apartment for a while and just yeah. It's hit exciting. the road, Zach. <laughs> Don't you come back? <laughs> oh, that was so corny, but I'll <laughs> I'll overlook that. Um, if if yeah. you're if you're a waitress. Okay. Working in a restaurant. Can I in, be a waiter? In the, I'm talking to the listeners. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> but if you're a waitress in the Philippines or mm. in Mexico or in Argentina or flirt Uruguay. Flirt with me. <laughs> I'll appreciate it. I promise. I'll probably flirt with you. Show Zach some of your gentle everyday kindness. Absolutely. I think it's funny. All those countries that you just mentioned and you said that ties are welcome in in general, um, which I feel... Um, 
and yet the welcome that I've received in Mexico, Argent- I lived in Argentina for a year. I've been in Uruguay just a few days, Mexico. I imagine Philippines as well, the, 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 the Latin Spanish welcome. I work with mainly English people, actually Americans and so on as well, but a lot of my conversation is with my fellow Brit and we are not so exposed to that level of welcome and kindness on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It's just the way that the culture has been shaped. There's a lot of competition in our generation and uh, we've got to take care of ourselves and it's not bad people, but that shell and that walls have been. I don't think I would have ever become or found within myself the generosity and the kindness and the love that I'm able to access now if I hadn't spent significant time in that Latin part of the world. Because that unconditional inclusivity that I felt particularly in Argentina, Mm -hmm. Mexico too, warms my heart to this day. And I feel that um, some of the hard edges of my own cultural shaping were shaved off by living there and infused within me something new. I completely agreed. I told you I, I lived in Colombia for six months. Yeah. Did I tell you about the night that I landed in Medellin? No. So I had a long flight from, I went from Chile to Ecuador to Colombia. And I arrived in the city of Medellin in Colombia around... It was probably around 11 o'clock at night and uh, rocked up in my hostel and I could see that the streets were just teeming with people. It was like this massive, massive street party. And I asked the owner of the hostel, like, what's going on? They said, the local football team just won the league championship tonight. You should go downtown and check it out. So I did. did. And it was uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of cheering Colombians in the street yeah. throwing up in the air I think it's like like um it's like a white powdery stuff it's like starch cornstarch or something it was then people were painting their faces with it and stuff and just screaming and hollering and I ended up at several bars with random Colombians I just met I remember se- <laughs> several women grabbed me gave me these massive kisses and stuff and then just walked on their way this happened several times people par- pouring me shots of uh, aguardiente you know, getting me all liquored up. I think I got back to the hostel around eight o'clock the next morning, and that was my first night in Colombia. Wow. And I was I was ruined. After that, it was like I love Colombia. No <laughs> yeah. kidding. Talk about a welcome. Yeah, but it's funny you say that too, because when I think about six months in Colombia, and that changed me for sure. Yeah, in in probably some similar ways to what you're describing. Yeah, that that sense of inclusivity and and spontaneous joy and. Uh, yeah, yeah, and just I mean, this is such a cliche, but I mean, God. It, I think I'd be, yeah, my years of travel have shaped me in ways that I, yeah, I can't even begin to describe. But, uh, so I'm excited. But what about you? You're not quite sure what your plan is for 2020 is in terms of your location. Very sure. Just got to take care of some details. Okay. Yeah. But one of the things, to go right back to the beginning of this podcast one of the things that's grown and stretched me this year relationally is um, they say about a relationship that it's not one plus one equals two, that if you've got a good relationship, it's like one plus one equals 10. Mm. 
the amount that two people can generate with a great loving bond is like beyond the sum of the parts but also when you go traveling in a relationship it's not just one plus one equals two it's one plus one equals ten so the (laughs) the amount of suitcases that has to be transported and visa issues that need to be taken care of and personal needs they they don't just get doubled but they get magnified and all of a sudden it's like yeah we're a couple and we're a little family and we're moving around the world and so we want to take things slower and we want to have less unpredictability and all the things that my whole life was predicated on before adventure novelty newness you know we don't want so much of that we want stability we want a, a safe base and home in which we can feel good and nourished and productive a place from which we can start to provide a legacy from and talking about the traveling to lots of different countries i've I've been given so much by some of the cultures that I've been in. And a lot of the time in those cultures where I receive so much, I didn't give so much in return. Because as the perpetual traveler, you know, I can give some things of myself, but not that much. I'm kind of in need of being sustained yeah. and supported by local people. And I, and, and I took a lot of hospitality. And um, my... Life, I think, for 2020 looks like a life of home building Mm. and uh, foundation making and nest building. And it doesn't mean not traveling because we're going to have a creative, fun way of doing this. Like, where do we want residences around the world and how do we want to build ourselves community in these different places that we love? Um, But it's definitely a slower, more mindful, more giving way of adventure on that note like i don't know about in the uk so much but um i think it's a lot of people in north america when they talk about relationships they say don't marry someone if you haven't lived with them first because you won't get a sense of who they are until you really inhabit the same space i think don't marry someone until you've traveled with them <laughs> don't you think in, in, we, in weird foreign countries yeah. where neither one of you speaks the language yeah. and you're both jet lagged and yeah. you've, you're both in desperate need of a shower and yeah. you missed your bus and it's raining and you don't know where the hotel is and that's what they say three, oh, three months of dating equals two weeks of living together equals one day of traveling yeah I, yeah. I tell you what what really switched something in my mind with Adalia with my relationship Uh, We'd been together about six months or so. And I had a few question marks about her, like how much difficulty can this woman sustain and maintain a sense of character? In terms of more practical difficulties? Yeah, just difficult, like emotional and and physical, Mm -hmm. like difficulty and turmoil and unpredictability and nastiness and all that shit, you know, of traveling and not showering and so on. Um, test of character how much can she sustain and not fold and then start blaming me and then quit the relationship Mm. and she's had her own inner tests of me like you know what what am i accountable for ultimately and so we did a vision quest like one of our big uh events coaching events last year involved a a nine-day vision quest in france and four of those days and nights we spent on top of the mountain And so as a group leader, I had the 10 guys go out for their vision quest and they were scattered all in a forest and a mountainside in France, all of them just on their own in little hammocks, you know, facing nature. And when you do a vision quest, it's like no eating, no drinking for four days and four nights. You have your little stone circle on the floor. You sit in the middle of it and you pray to the spirit all day 
please, uh, great spirit, um, reveal to me the vision of my life and what I should be doing on this earth. So that's the vision quest. And we were, we were leading that process. And on day three, I said to my girlfriend, listen, do you, do you want to go and see the mountain and have a day of vision quest? And she's like, yeah, but not alone. I want to go with you. So we decided we were going to have a vision quest date. And all of the participants are scattered around the mountain in their deep spiritual life purpose contemplation. And, and Adelia and I go on a little walk and it's 45 minutes from the house to the mountain. And then we go into the mountain and we decide that we're going to spend the night together. And I know the perfect spot to get to because it's like a ledge on a cliff top overlooking this river valley exposed underneath the full moon and we did it on the full moon mm. with the forest behind us it was like exquisite like how to sit with a woman and have a romantic evening right um and none of the vision questers had chosen that particular spot in the valley so it was free for convenient. us convenient so the whole time i was like wow when she sees the spot she's just gonna melt it's like you know nothing more romantic than this and so we got to the the bottom of the mountain and I said to her, listen, babe, it's going to take like 25 minutes to climb up to the spot where we're going to spend the night. But you need to promise me that you don't say a word. And if it's a little bit in pain or you're not enjoying it or if it's hard, like I can't hear a single word out of you. And she likes she's very transparent and vocal. And if she doesn't like something, she'll say something so that she, she makes noise. My my sweet girl. Um, but I told her no, because sound travels upwards, even if you say Jordan like that, the echoes of that are going to go out and it's all the guys are going to hear it. It's going to interrupt their process and they'll be like, you know, who's on the mountain and where are they going? We don't want to take them out of meditation on day three of their fasting process. They're in it. They're cooking these guys. So be quiet. And we climbed up the hill. And anyway, after about 25 minutes, we were not even halfway up. The sun had gone down and it was starting to get dark. The ground was way more slippery than it was from when I remembered that particular track a month before. And what was a 25 minute simple walk up the mountain was like an hour and a half long. Where the fuck are we? I don't know where we're going to sleep. I've got thorns in me in 10 different angles. Uh, it was getting really hairy. And honestly, I was nervous. Like my heart was beating. Like, what the fuck am I doing with this woman who's just trusting me blindly and cannot speak to me? And we finally found the clearing and got there. But I was scared by this point and it was pitch black and all we could hear around the valley were the howls of coyotes. Mm. Romantic. <laughs> yeah. And naturally we took a couple of um, blankets and sleeping mats, but not enough clothes and the temperature got cold. And we laid there on this ledge and we're sleeping on one camping mat. Half of my body is just on the rock. And we've got blankets, but not enough. And we're freezing and we're just huddled up to against each other with these howls of coyotes in the background, imagining that we should be enjoying the full moon under the, yeah, under the light of the stars and the moon. And it's not happening at all. I'm like shit scared and she's unable to speak or complain. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and then the sun comes up in the morning and there's like relief that we made it through the night and then we get but she held her tongue she held her tongue Confirm. the entire way and we got out the other side and as soon as we moved away from the mountain pass and started walking down towards the home she like 
when she could open her mouth, she went like apeshit ballistic. Like <laughs> <laughs> all the repressed, repressed emotional sediment of the night before, like just came at me and I smiled and I took it. I was like, you know, you're, you're right. How can I complain? But you're amazing. Like you're so vocal at complaining about the things that you don't like in life. Like the whole six months we've been together, like, you know, <laughs> you, you, shut the hell you, up. <laughs> <laughs> you made it very clear when yeah. you've been unsatisfied with me. Yeah. And yet when I asked you to be quiet in service of my men who were on the mountain and couldn't be interrupted, you had the character to spend an entire night in, in complete fear and uncertainty. I, as your leader was in fear and you could feel that the whole time and you still could keep your mouth closed and not complain and hold your tongue when it really mattered and and in that moment she went up so high in my estimations as like this is a woman with character like wow you know yeah. and and people talk about character as a masculine trait this man of character but it's fundamentally like for a woman to have that kind of character to not buckle or you know get all precious and girly and you know, I don't like this and I want to go take me out now and get all demanding in the middle of fire yeah no That's amazing impressive. yeah amazing. yeah no that would be impressive for sure yeah good for good for her <laughs> good for her so Jordan what's the best place people can connect with you on the web a couple of different places so you can find me at jordanlukecollier.com and find out a little bit about me I spend most of my time running group programs exploring masculinity intimacy and now legacy um and i'm on youtube forthcoming podcast which is going to be on the way as well so you can type my name into youtube and, and find some of my stuff as well and then if you want to know about the work that i do with arza Murata, we're a collection of writers and coaches and speakers and travelers and poets it's the the lover archetype approach to lovers <laughs> to 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 life and to being men on this earth in the 21st century if you're interested in that work you can go to arzamarata.com and find out more about our collective efforts excellent and again i can hardly endorse uh, arzamarata and jordan of course jordan my friend my brother on this very strange path that we're walking Thank you for uh, thank you for coming over and, and giving me your time today again. It's been an epic three years, brother. We've Absolutely. done one a year for three years. Next year, man. Next wow. December. Maybe you'll get snapped up by a Mexican waitress. That's where <laughs> my money lies at the moment. <laughs> That's good. I'll see you in another part of the world. All right, brother. you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon. Mm-hmm.